Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Be Kind, Please Rewind, a 90s movie podcast. It's August of 1992, and in the news this month, Tom Seaver, legendary pitcher of the New York Mets, is inducted into the Hall of Fame. Canada, Mexico, and the United States announced the completion of the negotiations for the North American Free Trade Agreement. Hurricane Andrew makes landfall in southern Florida, killing 44 people and causing $25 billion in damages. The Orlando Magic signed their number one draft pick, Shaquille O'Neal. The number one song of the month is November Rain by Guns N' Roses. And the top three grossing movies of August 1992 are Honeymoon in Vegas, Single White Female, and Unforgiven. Welcome back to another episode of Be Kind, Please Rewind, a 90s movie podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome again to another episode of Be Kind, Please Rewind, a 90s movie podcast. I'm Chris. And I'm Kevin. And we are here for August of 1992. I like all your energy right now. I am flying high, my friend. You're, uh, you're lifting up my spirits. I'm ready to go. <laughs> I had a good time, I gotta be honest. Movie sucked, but I had a good time. Yeah, well, I can't wait to debate you because all of these movies... Well, Oh, but some of these movies were very good. No, very one, one of these movies was very good. Very entertaining. One, <laughs> just one. All right. Um, we have any housekeeping things? We don't really do that, right? We just sit here and talk. And well, from what I hear, we have a guest on the show today. Yeah, there's uh, a guest host that we'll be introducing later. Joining us for the top three of the month. And because this is the boring part of the podcast. This is, see, why do you say that? Like, this is... <laughs> I like the countdown. It's very enjoyable to me. Some of my f- best laughs come from the podcast, from the countdown. All right. So since we are on a bit of a time crunch here, let's just, you know, let's get started. I think we have 15 titles this month. Seems about right. Seems. No, that is right. You could just say that is right. It's uh, August. So what? What's the deal with 16, 15 titles? I guess it's not really that many. I mean, it kind of is, considering, like, right now, like, go look in the theaters. What do you have? Like, like there's probably eight titles out total. Yeah, well, uh, you know, Netflix and Prime and HBO Max and all the streaming services, it's like 900 movies coming out. Right. Thank God we do the 90s and not the 2020s, because that would be we really We would never difficult. get through it, yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, coming in at number 15 is a movie that I've never heard of called Storyville, grossing a whopping $422,000. A young candidate for Senate is filmed with a hooker as blackmail. Oh, that, that's a very original story. Mm, yeah, ne- never. Never happens in movies. No. As he investigates, he discovers some family secrets involving his father and their political careers. Uh, this is an erotic thriller. So <laughs> it stars James Spader as the lead. He's and, the voice of Ultron. And, and he di- it's directed by Mark Frost, and this is the only movie Mark Frost has ever directed. So you're done. That's never never to be watched. All right, here we go. Moving on. Coming in at number 14, Freddy is FR07. FR07? I don't know. Because I'm not going to lie to you. When I saw this title, I thought it was some kind of weird, obscure Freddy Krueger movie. <laughs> no, it's an animated film about a frog who's kind of like 007, but a frog. Wow, I, I like that. 
<laughs> I mean, I guess. Yeah. So a French prince who was turned into a frog becomes a secret agent and goes to England to stop an evil plot that begins when famous buildings there start disappearing. Nah, well, that's weird. You also didn't say what it grossed. It grossed $1.1 million. Who did the voices? Anybody we know? Uh, ben Kingsley actually plays the frog. So That's cool. Yeah. And then uh, outside of that. There was a guy, Sir Michael Horden, who I guess is important in in England because he was the original Paddington voice. Sir Michael Horton's important? I don't know who he is. <laughs> Horden. Horden. Oh, Horden. Okay. Yeah. Horton. It's not Horton. Here's a who. Okay. Uh, yeah, but anyway, so it stars Ben Kingsley. He's from, of course, Shutter Island, Gandhi, and that's all I can Iron remember. Man 3? Yeah, but he plays a terrible character, so. I like the character. Moving on. Coming in at number 13, The Gun and Betty Lou's Handbag. This is a Disney movie <laughs> grossing $3.6 million. An ignored small-town librarian confesses to a murder she didn't commit to get more attention. Stars Penelope Ann Miller, who's the teacher in Kindergarten Cop, Julianne Moore, William Forsyth, and Kathy Moriarty, who's Vicky and Raging Bull. It's not the worst cast I've ever heard. Also, that was a comedy, which going out of order but you know i think you could probably deduct that i guess so deduce it yes <laughs> that's what you got that's it all right coming in at number 12 twin peaks fire walk with me this earned 4.2 million dollars this is a mystery suspense i guess thriller mystery thriller suspense it is the prequel to the original t twin peaks tv show uh, so if you don't know, in 2019, they released the, actually the sequel to the Twin Peaks TV show. It's actually this big, long thing. A lot of people watch it. A lot of people care. I don't. Yeah, it stars one of the girls from uh, Victorious. I forget her name. <laughs> forgot you love that show. <laughs> well, <laughs> when Cam was little, it was one of like the few things that we watched together that I actually got laughs out of. So All right. So anyway, so this, like I said, is the prequel to the original Twin Peaks TV show. FBI agent Desmond inexplicably disappears while hunting for the man who murdered a teen girl. The killer is never apprehended. And after experiencing dark visions and supernatural encounters, agent Dale Cooper chillingly predicts that the culprit will claim another life. So this is directed by David Lynch. Of course, he is the guy who directed and wrote all of the Twin Peaks everything. Shows, movies. movies. There's actually multiple movies um, starring Cheryl Lee. I think that's how you pronounce it. It's S-H-R-Y-L. Shrill. Maybe it's Shrill Lee. I doubt that. I mean, that's how it's spelt. Uh, so a bunch of small roles in TV. Ray Wise, small roles in TV. I know him from the show Reaper. You've probably never seen that show. I don't do shows. Yeah. Uh, Heather Graham and Kiefer Sutherland make appearances. Nice. So Heather Graham was only in this movie for like 15 seconds. She was in the original television series. Was she? That's I feel like she's so much younger than she actually is. I mean, the TV series was in like the late 80s. So right. it's not that crazy. She could have been six a years little old. Kid. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I have no I, idea. She's I, definitely older than us. Is she? Yeah, she's in her 40s. Okay. Well into. Good. Good. I'm glad she's old. Think about it. She was playing she was playing in American Pie in 1999, right? She was playing a 17-year-old, meaning so she was probably 26. Facts. Because that's what they do, you know? Facts. Anyway. I'm on board. Let's move on because that's all I got there. Coming in at number 11, Digstown, grossing $4.5 million. This is an action drama. 
Gabriel's released from prison. His con man friend makes a foolish bet with Digstown's owner on who'd win the boxing matches. Their man against 10 Digstown men. It's, uh, it's not well written, that description there. <laughs> no, and it doesn't seem like a fair fight. <laughs> so I guess it's a one on 10, <laughs> like a uh, tournament style winner take all. <laughs> I don't know what the, what the stakes are, but uh, here we are. Stars James Woods. Ooh, piece of candy. Uh, Louis Gossett Jr., my favorite, Oliver Platt. Also my favorite, Bruce Dern. And once again, Heather Graham. Oh, she's got two movies this month. Directed by Michael Ritchie. I tried to figure out if he's related to Guy Ritchie. I couldn't find anything. Uh, he directed Fletch 1 and 2. So let me tell you the difference between Fletch 1 and Fletch 2. Fletch 1 is a comedic masterpiece. Fletch 2 is a complete and utter waste of time. He also directed The Golden Child with Eddie Murphy. Those were the two things that I decided were important. <laughs> I understand. I have seen none of that. Fletch, if you haven't seen Fletch, you should just stop this right now and go watch it. It's in the 80s. It's one of the best comedies of all time. But it's in the 80s. That's why I'm a 90s guy. Okay, fair. But also go watch it. Okay. All right, coming in at number 11, Christopher Columbus, The Discovery, earning $8.3 million. Is so this a documentary? It is not a documentary. It okay. is a movie. So they took many liberties with the fact that they're trying to portray this as like factual data. But I, I, got, I got quite a bit to say about this movie. Go ahead. I'm in. All right. So Genoese navigator overcomes intrigue in the court of King Ferdinand and Queen Isabella of Spain and gains financing for his expedition to the East Indies. So basically, that's just Christopher, what Christopher right. Columbus. We all know that. All right. Anyway, so it's directed by John Glenn, not the astronaut. I looked into it. <laughs> okay, but <Let's> clarify. <laughs> he actually directed a whole bunch of uh, James Bond movies, including Octopussy. Oh, nice. That's my favorite title. Uh, he also directed, and now I can't remember. I didn't write them. I just wrote a bunch of James Bond movies. But anyway, there it is. So this is starring Marlon Brando, Tom Selleck, George's Coraface, who is a popular actor in Greece, Spain, and France. Mm. So he's like a European actor. Uh, Robert Davey, who is Jake Fratelli in The Goonies, mm. and Catherine Zeta-Jones and Benicio Del Toro. Wow, that is like the most eclectic group of actors in one movie, perhaps ever. Yeah, just mix it up. <laughs> Mixing it up. Anytime you throw Brando in, I feel like it completely like sways the... the the what levels? The, the I don't know. Not here, it doesn't. I'm just saying. I'm, I'm about to give you some facts about Brando. Here. Oh, I know he was uh, <laughs> he was intolerable towards the end of his career, but I'm just saying that like he's such like he's such an enigma. I don't know. I just feel like having him in a movie makes it either really really good or really really bad. Yeah, that that's fair. Okay. All right. So first things first. This was written by Mario Puzo, who of course wrote The Godfather's. Okay. Um, now. This is why Brando originally accepted the movie, because it was written by Puzo. However, upon seeing and reading the script, like a couple of days before filming was set to start, I guess that's when he decided to read the script. He, he just didn't show up day one. Why? Because he didn't like the fact that they took liberties in the, in the writing and they totally ignored Columbus's uh, genocidal ways. Okay. So he wasn't happy about that. He's like, he's, he's, he murdered a whole bunch of Native Americans. Like, we can't just ignore that. Okay. Um, but they did in the script. So Brando didn't show up day one. So Selleck shows up day one, and Selleck says, 
I'm only here because Brando's supposed to be here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so now Selleck's about to walk. And now at this point, Brando feels bad. Like, all right, I'm not going to ruin like everyone else's like job. Uh-huh. I'll show up. So Brando reluctantly shows up day two just to keep Selleck on board and keep the movie afloat. Okay. Which, by the way, he didn't really help much because the movie apparently was so bad and had so many problems that nobody ever got. The, I'm sorry, the cast got paid, but apparently the crew never got paid for making this wow, movie. Wow, that's terrible. Yeah. So anyway, so Brando shows up, and once again, what does Brando not know? His lines. <laughs> or anything about the movie. <laughs> so the only thing he knows is that they ignored the genocide. That's all he knows. And... He wears this really heavy set of robes throughout the whole movie, and nobody else is dressed that way <laughs> because they had him wired up with a whole bunch of like different gadgets and like wires so that they could feed him his lines and his and his his direct direction, so he knew uh, what to do, uh-huh. and that was it. That was the whole reason okay. this movie got made. What was the story about? What did it have any like real life? It was just about Columbus discovering America, so they must have. I mean, I really looked at it so, because I didn't so care. They, they took that premise and made up all of the rest of the stuff that happened? Yeah, I, I think it was just supposed to be like what happened on the water and what happened when they landed and first Thanksgiving. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. So That was the PG version of what happened. Yeah, I don't think Columbus was at the first Thanksgiving. I think that was the Mayflower people. Isn't he the Mayflower guy? No, he's the Nina, the Pinta, and the Santa Maria. Oh, I thought that was... Um, the Mayflower was like the 1500s. Columbus is the 1400s. Well, I'm glad you're a teacher and you know these things because what I had learned once in eighth grade is now completely forgotten. All right, then. Coming in at number 10, Stay Tuned, a comedy grossing $10.7 million. A husband and wife are sucked into a hellish television set and have to survive a gauntlet of twisted versions of shows they find themselves in. Stars John Ritter, who everybody knows, Pam Dauber, who's Mindy from Mork and Mindy, Jeffrey Jones, Chris, your favorite guy, Fer- uh, the principal from Ferris Bueller's Day my, Off. Don't say that. He's not my favorite guy. And he, everybody knows from the... If you listen, you know from the last episode we did. And Eugene Levy, who is everybody's favorite. All right, that's it. That's it. Moving on. Coming in at number eight. Can I interject? Yeah. I've never seen any of these movies. Never even heard of any of these movies. You never heard in the gu- of the gun in Betty Lou's handbag? No, because when I read it, I thought it said the guy in Betty Lou's handbag. And I was like, that's weird. <laughs> it's weird she keeps a little guy in there. <laughs> All right. Yeah. All right. <clears throat> Coming in at number eight, Whispers in the Dark. Earning $11.1 million. This is a drama. Eve tells her shrink Anne about kinky sex with a man. Okay. Anne learns that it's the same man she's been seeing lately. Eve finds out and explodes. A murder follows. Sounds terrible. I couldn't find a better description than that, so I went with it. Uh, yeah, it does sound bad. This is directed by Christopher Crowe. His directorial, directorial credits are absolute shit, but he did write The Last of the Mohicans. Okay. Uh, starring Annabella, I can't pronounce this. You would know. Sciorra? Sciorra? S-C-I-O-R-R-A? Okay. Right. Annabella Sciorra. She's from Internal Affairs and Cadillac Man. Oh. Yeah. And you Internal Affairs, our favorite. Yes. I love Internal Affairs. <laughs> Going to watch that as soon as we're done here. Uh, Jamie Sheridan. He did a lot of TV. Remember the scene? The only scene I can remember from that movie is when Richard Gere slaps the shit out of Stephen Baldwin. Shit out of Stephen Baldwin. Like, I think I counted 12 slaps. Wait, was it Stephen Baldwin or Billy Baldwin? Uh, I always confuse them. Might have been Billy Baldwin. 
Stephen Baldwin's the one that's in uh, Fire Usual Suspects. No, who's in Usual Suspects then? They're interchangeable. They are. The only <laughs> important Baldwin is Alec Baldwin. Well, I like Billy Baldwin because he is a fan of uh, college wrestling and does support it. Mm-hmm. I've spoken about this on the podcast before. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Where are we? I don't know. Uh, so it also stars Alan Alda. And that's it? That's it. I think you could have left that off for uh, continuity's sake. I don't know. All right, Lee, cut it out. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> no, it stays. <laughs> Coming in at number seven, Rapid Fire, an action movie grossing $14.4 million. When student Jake Lowe witnesses a killing, he finds himself caught between two feuding drug lords. Betrayed and set up by the federal agents, the only person he could trust is Ryan, a Chicago cop who reminds Jake of his deceased father. Stars Brandon Lee, as in Bruce Lee's son. Yes. Powers Booth, who's Curly Bill in Tombstone. You love Curly Bill. You love Tombstone, and I don't know why you're like saying it as it's a negative. It's not a negative. I didn't mean it like that. I just mean you love Curly Bill. Yeah, I do love Curly Bill. That's all. Do you you got a problem? Like I could have said you love pizza. Like it's not a bad thing. It's it was your tone. I didn't mean you had the wrong tone on it. Stab me in the face with a soldering iron. <laughs> <laughs> directed by Dwight Dwight Little, who I thought you would like to know, directed Marked for Death with Steven Seagal. I did want to know that. That's it. Coming in at number six, Pet Cemetery 2, a horror earning $17.1 million. A teenage boy and his father move to his recently deceased mother's hometown where they encounter the ancient Native American cemetery with the power to raise the dead. I mean... We're all familiar with Pet Cemetery, so I don't really need to get into it too much. Uh, directed by Mary Lambert. She, of course, directed the first one and a whole ton of music videos in the 80s and 90s. We encounter often directors who have directed like a shit ton of music videos and we write them off. But also we forget like the impact of a music video back in the eight, late 80s, early 90s. You know, like they were cinematic sometimes i guess you're right like remember the michael jackson black and white video or the thriller video which were like 10 minute little movies or whatever it's true you're right yeah like they were not like they people actually took care in the music videos that they shot then even in the late 90s and the early 2000s like we were all watching trl weren't we yeah so they had impact back then you're right you're right I, I can't argue that we probably shouldn't dismiss it and we probably should look into it a little bit more because she did have people like Madonna. And yeah, I'm sure they were putting on like mini movies. Yeah. So anyway, right. I apologize. Uh, what's her name? I apologize, Mary Lambert. <laughs> she, she's going to definitely hit, listening hit, to the podcast. She's definitely right now. <laughs> As we're recording it <laughs> live somehow. <laughs> so this is starring Edward Furlong, who is nice. It's the kid from uh, T2. Correct. Uh, Anthony Edwards, who, of course, is Goose from Top Gun. Nice. And Clancy Isn't Brown. Isn't he dead? I mean, Didn't he die in Top Gun? In, in the movie Top Gun? So he, that's real life, Go- though. No, Go- so he Go- Goose died, yeah. Couldn't have made this movie. He's not actually Goose. Oh, you're just ruining it for me now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on, I guess. <laughs> Coming in at number five, Raising Cain. Uh, horror grossing $21 million. The oncologist wife of a prominent child psychologist sus- suspects her husband has an unhealthy scientific obsession with their child, unaware of what or who is really going on inside of his head. That's really poorly written. 
This stars John Lithgow, who is maybe my least favorite actor of all time. Seriously? I The sight of John Lithgow makes me not want to watch it. <sighs> See, that's how I feel about James Spader. Okay. Uh, this is directed by Brian De Palma, who has... I know him. S- s- well, I'm glad, because, you know, if you like movies, you may have heard of him. He has so many directing credits that are noteworthy, but I'll run down a few quickly. Carlito's Way, Mission Impossible, Bonfire of the Vanities, Untouchables, and Scarface. All right, moving on. That's your cue to move on. (laughs) And our final movie before the top three, coming in at number four, a childhood favorite of mine, Three Ninjas. I've never seen this. I thought you were going to watch it with Chasey. Oh, yeah. I said I was going to do that, and I will do that if I remember, which is a slim chance I remember. Right. So Three Ninjas earning $29 million. This is a comedy action kids movie. Um, I know that if I were to rewatch this movie, it would ruin it for me, so I will never rewatch this movie because I know it's not a good movie. But what is your recollection of it? My recollection of it is three kids, brothers, are they're the whitest white kids you've ever seen for some reason their grandfather's japanese <laughs> i like that um and so they every summer they go to their their grandfather's house who is played by uh your favorite victor wong who's victor wong he's you know from uh oh yeah tremors tremors he's oh, yeah, also yeah. in that isn't he in get eaten by a snake in anaconda i can't so i'll just read the description they gave us three young brothers who have been trained in ninja techniques from an early age learn that they are possessing powers which evil crooks would like to control when a kidnap is attempted they must defend themselves using all of their skills so yeah it's it's three kids who are awesome ninjas because of their grandfather (laughs) okay and these guys try to kidnap them because they know what awesome ninjas they are (laughs) and And they want to learn their ninja ways and they use their awesome ninjaness to defeat the criminals okay and is there anybody in it that we know? No, the only Victor Wong. That's it. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Some obscure character. They're actor. all obscure. Like every picture of like the kids in it was, was them in this movie. Didn't you tell me that there was a chubby kid that you um that yes. you identified with? So the three characters are the oldest is Rocky because he's strong. <laughs> the middle one is Colt because he's fast. Oh come on! And the youngest one is Tum Tum because he'll eat anything. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I, I feel I feel a need to watch this. And Rocky wears red, Colt wears blue, and Tum Tum wears orange. So they're the chipmunks? I guess so. Okay. <laughs> All right. All right. I guess that's it. That's it. Let's get to our top three. All right. So we have the top three. And for the top three, we have for our first time a special guest host, Andy Fry, sports writer and author of 90 Days in the 90s. Andy, what's up? How you doing? Nice to talk to people with uh, East Coast accents once again. <laughs> yeah, undeniable New York accents. I don't know. I don't think I sound that bad. I'm probably worse <laughs> than you. Well, welcome, Andy. We're happy to have you on. You're actually probably you. You are our first guest uh, onto the podcast, and it's nice to know that somebody out there is is listening. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having me on. It's good to, uh, and I'm excited to talk about '90s movies with you guys. So coming in at number three is Honeymoon in Vegas, grossing $35 million. Jack, if I go, I want you to make me a promise that you'll always love me. Of course, Mom. And you'll never get married. I need a commitment. 
I want to be married. I can't walk out. Jack Singer has made his decision. Let's just do it. Get on a plane, go to Vegas and do it. Now. Jack is going to get married. You serious? I must be. My legs are paralyzed. But a funny thing happened on the way to the wedding. Sorry, man. Straight flush to the Jack. To the queen. Wise men say You owe Tommy Coleman $65,000 Only fools rush in Eddie, you have a solution? I do I want your girlfriend for the weekend You brought me to Las Vegas and you turned me into a hooker, Jack? I'll be a perfect gentleman He's taking me to Hawaii No! No! Money, feel my temperature so, Corman's address is near Kapa'a'a Is it Kapa'a'a? If you want to leave, believe me, I understand. Is it AAA or AA? It's just a little overwhelming, you know, to be pursued like this. What about near where Don Ho or Jack Lord lives? That must be a pretty good neighborhood. Why the women, when they come here, oh, they get crazy. They like freaky freaky all night long. No one ever was as crazy about you as I am. Well, that's just so wonderful to hear. Let's just fly to Vegas and get married and go on with our lives. Just get me anywhere where I can get a connecting flight to Las Vegas. Las Vegas, anybody? Come on, hop aboard. We're the flying elves is Utah, Jeff. The king may be dead, but Jack Singer's not far behind. Listen, if you could just drop me. Oh, yeah, yeah, we'll sure drop you. Honeymoon in Vegas. <laughs> This was a rom-com, I guess, if you could call it that. I don't know how much romance was in it, but uh, this was a Nick Cage movie oh. that I haven't seen in quite some time. You don't understand how this could be called a rom-com? I'm just saying, like, what amount of romance? Like, I think of a rom-com, I think of, like, how how they lose a guy in 10 days. It, the whole movie is about him trying to get his girl back. That's what a rom-com is. That's the definition of a rom-com. Okay. It's a comedy where the male lead tries to win back the female. There was a minimal amount of romance. Okay. Well, the romance is him winning. I, guess. I agree with Chris. It's, it's the, the, the rom com is boy gets girl, boy loses girl, boy gets girl back. So, and if you throw a couple mobsters in there, that makes it more interesting to watch, I think. All right. I see how this whole night's going to go. I'm going to be in the minority. So. Yes. Get him. <laughs> <laughs> so, I wrote down the plot of this movie is Indecent Proposal. However, that's not exactly right because Indecent Proposal came after this movie, so maybe Indecent Proposal is this movie. So somebody watched Honeymoon in Vegas and said, this works better as a real drama. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. So, all right, so this stars Nicolas Cage as Jack Singer, James Caan as, there's, like, there's so many names I'm going to rattle off right now. James Caan plays Tommy Corman. Uh, just Sarah Jessica Parker plays Betsy. Pat Morita uh, who is uh, Mr. Miyagi plays Mahi Mahi. Robert Costanzo, who's the construction worker story guy from City Slickers, has a small role in this movie. Johnny Williams, who plays Johnny Sandwich. He's the guy from Goodfellas who was, says, I'm sorry, it's under my mother's name. And his name in Goodfellas was Johnny Roast Beef. Nice, I like that. <laughs> so they're just sticking with the cold cuts here. To Tony Shaloub is like a concierge to the um to to the casino. He's in it for all of one minute. Well, he has he has two fifteen second clips, so it's thirty seconds. Do you know that Bruno Mars was the Little Elvis singer? No. Yeah, I looked it up and I was I paused it and it was on Prime. I was watching it on, so sometimes you get the pop up. Now that you're saying it, it does look like a child 
Bruno Mars because it was. <laughs> I guess he was destined to be famous. All right, lastly. Also, uh, I didn't know he was that old. Like, I didn't know he was, like, my age. So but He was the same height, though, right? He's the same height at the time. <laughs> <laughs> then, then and now. Uh, it also has Ben Stein, Peter Boyle, and Burton Gilliam from Blazing Saddles. He's the guy who says, can't be more than 120 degrees. Yeah, so he's probably on here, though, because this was directed by Andrew Bergman, who, in case you didn't know, has writing credits on Blazing Saddles. Nice. All right, so, Andy, what did you think of this movie? Well, I, I kind of like what you're alluding to. It was like, yeah, it, was, it reminded me immediately of Indecent Proposal, probably because that was just, uh, as a movie from the 90s, uh, and because of the star power with Demi Moore and then uh, also Woody Harrelson, kind of right before he became super huge, I think Indecent Proposal just kind of stands out as one of those, you know, on those kind of glamorous, kind of sleazy headline 1990s movies. But then this has essentially the same plot, but it's a lot more fun. You know, you said it came out before. So I guess maybe the Indecent Proposal people thought, you know, hey, we could do a better, we better bang up job on this. But I just thought it was more enjoyable. And then also Nicolas Cage, I'm not a huge fan, but this is the Nicolas Cage that people like people like me love. Like he's just kind of a little self-aware, but a little aloof. Uh, he, he doesn't take himself too seriously. He's always rushed. And that's just kind of like a funny shtick that Nicolas Cage has that works. And a lot of movies kind of up to when he became the leading man superstar, like in The Rock and um, a bunch of other action movies. I like that old Nicolas Cage. And this is sort of the, him in his prime moments i think so yeah i like it i i like nicholas cage i don't like him as a comedian i don't want him as the lead in a comedy i because I, I don't find him particularly like overarchingly funny i like him as like like himself is just like that's funny sometimes like it works into like like i love the national treasure movies i think those are so much fun and i and maybe i can see kevin making faces at me right now no i like them um and and i like how he can be funny but i don't want it to be like a comedy you know what i'm saying like there's that maybe you could argue national treasure is a comedy but it's really more of like a yeah, I understand what you're yeah, saying. Right. I I feel like the worst. I've said this before. The worst Nicolas Cage is the best Nicolas Cage. Like when he's being so ridiculously over the top that it almost that it does take you out of the movie. It's just like, I don't know. I appreciate that guy doing really weird stuff. Well, so. The whole second half of this movie, he is so over the top that yes. I, I, I'm sorry, he I got does sick get of there. him. And. Can we talk about how much I hate Sarah Jessica Parker? Right what? Now? I thought she was so compelling. <laughs> I I can't stand her. I thought she was awful. I I don't know her face. I hate her. I I did I ever tell you about I had MySpace and <laughs> what? Hold on. <laughs> Are we doing right now? <laughs> you need to hear this. Back in the day. Yeah. <laughs> so and in my MySpace, you know how it had that section you had to like say who your hero was. Okay. You know, this was is like it Sarah Jessica Parker? So it was Sarah Jessica Parker because. It was amazing to me that someone so untalented and so unattractive could make such a huge career in Hollywood. Okay, well, I thought she was hot in this movie. <laughs> All right, anyway, um, I don't know. I, you took me right <laughs> out of it there, <laughs> beating on Sarah Just Oh, what about the animated intro? Andy, what's the deal with the, the late 80s, early 90s animated intros? I don't know. I mean, this was... Remember, so this is 1992, right? So it's it's a little bit... I don't know anything about the studios, but when I was in high school, um, Who Framed Roger Rabbit was like a huge hit, even though I thought it was like, I love Beavis and Butthead. I love like old school cartoons. And it was just, you know, kind of like to use your term over the top, 
it, it, I think it had an, uh, an effect that sort of cast its shadow on a lot of what was going to happen in the next five years. So I, I don't know, I feel like, I don't know if it was related to that at all. I used to feel like, yeah, there's some cartoonishness involved in rom-coms and comedies and always the comics this is kind of like uh, hollywood kind of didn't really find its game i think in the 90s till about 1994 when you know it's taking a stretch here you know pulp fiction came out and there's a lot of great movies that sort of you know miramax came along and movie studios kind of said okay we got to like take this movie making stuff seriously we can't do it i'll do as many of these hokey things as we just feel the liberty to do so i don't know i just think it was like a whimsical thing that wasn't very well thought through it was kind of cutesy. It's like, oh, you know, there's a couple of movies that did this kind of thing. And we're yeah. gonna, we're City Slickers, up. Better Off yeah. Dead. Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Literally exactly. every single comedy that came comedy, out before yeah. 1993, I think. I think in 93, that's where you kind of see it drop what off. What was it that some idiot on staff that wanted to be a, a cartoonist was a writer, and he was like, oh, I could do the intro? And then even – did you mention Oscar already? No. They did the claymation in Oscar. Yeah, that one wasn't bad because he just sang Figaro, so it was like kind of tolerable. Yeah, well, this one was – I actually clocked it. It was two minutes and four seconds long, and I really didn't need it to be that long. All right, so the plot of this movie is Indecent Proposal. We went through that, right? He lost the. He doesn't want to get married because his mother on his deathbed said, don't get married, promise me you won't get married. Then he keeps having reoccurring nightmares about his mother, and one time she's naked and the vacuuming. Time. And, you know, it's an ongoing joke between him and Sarah Jessica Parker, who I think you're 100% wrong in saying that. she. she I thought she was maybe the most compelling she's ever been. Like, she was the most attractive, the most compelling I've, I've ever seen her in Okay, I'm, I I'm not, might not argue that. It doesn't mean she, I think she was good, but she might have been the best she's ever been. Okay, well, I mean, she wasn't like, you know, take your breath away, but she was definitely serviceable. Well, I have to be honest. I thought this movie was dog trash. I hated every second of it, just so you know. I was so entertained. That's great. It was terrible. Did you like it, Andy? I mean, it's it's not going to be something that uh, I'm going to see in my Netflix. Be like, oh, I got to watch that right now. Like I did on Friday night. I was like, I've seen old school like seven times, and I'm kind of in the mood to watch, watch the whole movie again. So yeah, click watch yeah. it. That's not one of those movies, but I mean, again, I think there's a certain campiness and charm. Maybe I think of like Nicolas Cage almost more like Valley Girl. Like you just you're not really taking the character seriously. You're just having fun with it, following along. So yeah. it has to be kind of. You have to suspend this belief a little bit to follow along, and and I, I think James Con, there's he can make that work. I mean, we've seen him be like a you know a Sonny Corleone and like a lot of serious characters, but it, kind of in the '90s, he still has that mobster stick, but it's a little more playful, and I think it just totally works here. And if it wasn't for that, um, the thing would probably be a dud. But yeah, I agree with you one thousand percent. If it wasn't for the James Con. Um, gangster aspect of this movie, then yeah, like I'm bored to tears. But he, I see, but I that's really, what I was gonna say is like James Conn is the only part of this movie that I actually like enjoyed. Well, I, I mean, you know, spoiler alert, I think he was the best part of this movie, right? But yeah. he's, but I like his like effortless, like he's like got such a like I don't care style of acting, you know, he's just very relaxed, calm, he's never too emotional, like even when he's angry, he's not very emotional, you know what I mean? He's like. I don't know. He's kind of like a guy's guy that I like. And I guess being Sonny Corleone, you know, he's always going to be, you know, have a special place in my heart. Yeah. And he is a one dimensional type of actor, though, in that sense, because like you said, he doesn't have an emotional range that you're going to keep up with. But he, he's always very steadfast and you know what you're going to okay, get. But, yeah. One dimensional is good, though. Do you want Daniel Day-Lewis or. No. Uh, right. Or that's the, what I'm saying. 
cover you know uh, what's his name cumberbatch doing this role probably not no yeah so, yeah so. but that's but that's what i'm saying is like but he 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 fits well into a rom-com you know like and he fits well into that gangster persona that that he takes on because it, it, in it both it works in a serious setting and it works in the comedic setting right yeah, yeah. i understand so all right, let's hit our category so we can move on. My best scene was, uh, I have two. So the scene where Sarah Jessica Parker is yelling at Nicolas Cage. So uh, we didn't explain how we get to this point, so I'll do it quickly. Nick Cage gets invited. He gets set up by James Caan to go play a, a card game where James Caan beats him. I guess they never really say whether he cheated him or not, but it's alluded to that he did cheat him because the hand he gets Nick Cage has a straight flush, gets beat by a higher straight flush, which is a virtual impossibility. So we're just assuming that James Conn cheated. James Conn wants to date Sarah Jessica Parker for a couple of days and in lieu of the sixty five thousand dollars that Nick Cage loses to him because she reminds him of his old uh wife or girlfriend, whatever she was. So that's how we get to the point where Jane uh Nick Cage is letting Sarah Jessica Parker Parker date James Conn for two days or whatever, and then he takes advantage and takes her to Hawaii or whatever. So before she agrees to go on the date for a couple days with James Conn, she's down in the lobby of the casino that they're in in Vegas, and she's yelling in the middle of this arcade with these, all these little kids about how uh, Nick Cage turned her into a whore is the word that she uses. So you get the 90s retro with all the old video games and the neon lights and the arcade and the little kids and she's yelling obscene things and I just find that found that scene very entertaining. You know, this is back-to-back podcasts where you found someone yelling obscene things to be the funny part of a movie. Yeah, well, you know, I'm an adult. I'm entitled. So. What was the last one? I don't remember, but I know. Oh, it was Eddie Murphy and... And where she was yelling some things about her vagina. Yes. Uh, <laughs> all right. Yours? So my best scene, uh, I said when Khan, like, gets mad for the first time, like, and he starts being a dick to Betsy, uh, I thought this was the first time you saw, like, real acting in the movie. I, I get that it's a comedy and, like, we're not looking for the best acting, but I thought that was the best acting in the movie. And I said that he's great through the whole thing, even though Sarah Jessica Parker, I thought, sucked in that scene and wasn't really feeding off him the way she should have been because I thought he was delivering some some uh, some good notes there. Okay. Andy, did you have a best scene? I don't, you know, I don't, there were so many of those scenes where there's a little bit of bravado, like the, the scene that you're talking about in the casino where she uh, kind of loses it and um, Nicholas Cage kind of loses a little bit too. I, I think probably more just the scenes where like, yeah, they're in Hawaii. They're kind of on their little dates and, you know, tough guy Jim Khan is trying to do little things to charm her and she's buying it a little bit, but she's sort of skeptical. I just think that dynamic, maybe it's more, less of a scene about more the the interpersonal dynamic between these two people who, you know, gangster uh, and maybe a little bit of a suburban princess, obviously a huge age difference, different walks of life. I think that whole shtick going on there was was if it's not a scene that was probably what really I think yeah I followed you saying no yeah we we do that too sometimes you know we can't pick a scene per se but an aspect of the movie which is fine so you you hit the category and I like that too when they were doing like he's trying to prove he's outdoorsy so they go on the hike or whatever and he's like huffing and puffing as he climbs up the hill and Sarah Jessica Parker is fine and she's walking along and he falls down a hole but then like he recovers like as if he was like down there to get her a flower or whatever (laughs) and he comes up all covered in dirt that was cool all right my uh worst scene uh, was it was a throwaway scene. It was all right. So two things. I'm gonna give you both actually. At the chief's house, when uh, Mr. Miyagi 
like is driving him all over the place so he doesn't get to James Khan and the girlfriend or whatever. That was just a throwaway scene and it was completely useless and not funny at all. I didn't like that. And then the whole ending got a little slapstick when he's with the flying Elvises and she's in the dress and she's a, a show girl dancer or whatever she is. That was too much for me. Can I tell you, I understand why it's your worst scene, but for, for whatever reason, I was very, it made me happy. To see him oh, jump on. out of the plane in the Elvis suit and land. And I even said this, I'm, a, I'm so mad at myself for enjoying this scene. <laughs> <laughs> Did it remind you of Con Air when he's like, put the bunny back? No, no. <laughs> but it did remind me of what last week when you told me this wasn't the movie when he jumps out of the plane dressed as Elvis, and it is. I thought, I mistook this one for, was it Leaving Las yeah, Vegas leaving where Las he's Vegas. an alcoholic? Yeah. All right, mm-hmm. so... With too many yep. Vegases for Nick Cage. Andy, did you have a worse scene? I don't know. So I grew up in, in Philadelphia where um, if you turn a corner, you will bump into at least two or three people dressed like Benjamin Franklin. So the whole costume thing that, you know, it's kind of like a fear of clowns, like to see 15 Elvis impersonators on stage of all different shapes and sizes doing the same goofy thing. Yeah. I, don't know, I, thought it was, I guess it kind of went with the kitschiness of the movie, but it was kind of hooky and it felt a little forced. Yeah, uh, was, they leaned very hard into it. Yeah, the only—I I mean, the thing about—I thought it would. I'm not a screenwriter, but I, it would have seemed like it would have made more sense if his mother's, if the in, his conversation with his mother, the last one was like, "Before I die, I want you to marry somebody. You know, do me right, be an honorable." Versus like, "I don't want you to get married," and then he gets married despite her. I just think as a as a choice, it probably would have made sense the other way around. But you know, I didn't write the screenplay, and I'm not sure really what the. Uh, motivation was it just seemed kind of like backwards there for me or have some reference to his past and his mother loving elvis or something like that right. not just shoving all the elvises in there for a laugh right because uh, I, i'm just thinking about that now because they're really you don't know why his mother didn't want him to get married it was just that she yelled at him on her deathbed that was it oh uh, she said the reason why is she said that nobody will ever love you like i do so that yeah. right. but anyway so my worst scene I actually, you know, I, I'm getting too serious with these comedies. I think that's my problem now. I'm like, I'm like really dissecting them far too much. Okay. Because my worst scene was the poker scene. Because I just found it to be like. The haphazard I, rules yeah, of poker that and, they were playing. And I just didn't care. Yeah. Like, first of all, the betting, like the 18 rounds of betting. Like, I've never seen that happen. Yeah. And also, I call and then I raise is not legal in poker. No. I was, I was. Splash I, in the pot. Yeah. I was breaking down all that stuff, too. I mean, I'm basing all of this on the movie Rounders, but. <laughs> Which is, it's a fact. <laughs> I had to pull poker, huh? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's good. All right. Um, all right. Best role. Mine was, mine was uh, James Caan. I also wrote. Sarah Jessica Parker as a second. I know yours. Your worst is Sarah Jessica Parker. No, it's actually not. All right, give my work. My best is James Con. Okay, Andy, who is your best? I, role? Yeah, I mean, I think you got to say James Con. It's um, yeah, hands down. There. Yeah, he is the most charismatic. Like some people, when they're on screen, you're just like, I could just spend time with you, no matter what you're doing. Yeah, exactly. All right, my worst role was Nick Cage. Yeah, agreed. Okay. And it, again, like, I like Nick Cage, but this is, like, I know you guys keep saying, like, this is your favorite type of Nick Cage. Like, this is my least, like, he's so, he just goes so, so over the top, and I couldn't handle it. No, I just, I think, I thought this was a very, so Nick Cage has, like, three attitudes, I feel. He has, I'm going to do whatever I want as ridiculous as I want, and you're going to film it, and that's that. Or, I'm going to try really hard to do something good, and 
hopefully it is good or I just don't care. And I feel like this was the I just don't care Nick Cage. <laughs> Andy, what was your worst role? I, mean, I think um, the mom was at uh, Ann Bankoff just kind of like it doesn't really seem again. I have a problem with sort of the premise of don't get married. He gets married. It seemed like it should have been the other way around. And um, yeah, I don't know. That just was kind of a little bit of a paper thin role for me. I don't know why, but yeah. that's and, and like it's unnecessary too, right? Because it could just be that he doesn't want to commit. Like that could be the premise of the movie. It doesn't his mother doesn't have to be the one deciding that for him. No. <laughs> it serves yeah. no purpose. All right, most quotable lines. I only have one, and normally I'm a stickler for this, but she's getting ready to leave with. Uh, I say she when uh, Sarah Jessica Parker is getting ready to leave with James Con's character, and she goes, "You expect us to fly back and forth to Hawaii in just two days?" And Cage goes, "Us already? It's us." And she goes, "Well, I'm trying to make the best of this." And he freaks out. And he goes, "Well, you're doing a great job." <laughs> that was the funniest line in the whole thing to me. See, I, I like the end when. James Conn admits defeat, and he's just like, it's over. Son of a bitch jumped out of a plane. <laughs> just because it's like he jumped out of a plane for like, well, I can't top that. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> All right. Andy, did you have a most quotable line? Yeah, I mean, I'm not really one who picks up on that unless it's like, all right, all right, all right. You know, something in my face a million times or. Okay. Know. So, but I think, yeah, the James Conn where he just throws in the towel. It's kind of like, um, you know, it's the pinnacle of his character to kind of express himself with frustration and, uh, and and but in this movie not whack somebody so yeah, yeah. <laughs> i love <laughs> the two when he goes to johnny johnny sandwich when he's on the phone when he's like are you eating again he's I'm got a, yeah, he's got a mouthful of food on, i'm not eating <laughs> all right uh would you recommend this movie chris i mean you guys made me think i'm thinking too deep about it so i'm not gonna not recommend it i'm not gonna recommend it i'm gonna rewatch it with a much light heart much more lighthearted have a couple point. drinks and then watch yeah. it Andy, would you recommend this movie? You know, I got a couple friends who think that everything that um, Nicolas Cage has ever done has been awesome, and he's so handsome, and he's so so deep actor. And I would say, yeah, definitely go see this and talk to me afterwards, just for that. Okay, very good. I would say yes. Go watch this movie. I found it thoroughly entertaining. Before we move on, can I just add? We didn't. We, you mentioned, but we didn't talk about Ben Stein, and I love Ben Stein's throwaway roles in movies where he's just his monotone delivery and yeah just there. I, 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 I love i think he song. might I, I ran out of room with the people that cameoed in this movie so i might have left him out no you said ben Stein. did i yeah. okay all we right. just didn't talk about what he did but in the in the airport online just holding everybody up oh, that was great all right moving on uh coming in at number two single white female grossing 48 million dollars in this city on this street in this apartment Hi, are you Allison Jones? I'm Hedra Carlson. Hedra, that's unusual. <sighs> when can you move in? An ad for a roommate brought a stranger into Allison's life. <laughs> Someone. I look beautiful on you. Who shares. What's well, kind of fun having a girlfriend again? Someone. Do you guys know when you'll be back? Uh, no, it's kind of an anniversary tonight. Really? Who cares? Where the hell have you been? <gasps> Making me feel like I'm 16 years old here. Someone who borrows. I've got a surprise for you. You've got to be kidding. I love myself like this. It's like looking at myself. It was scary. Someone who steals. Hey, sleepy guy. Ellie? No, I'm not Ellie. Someone who would kill to be her. 
Possible blood stains. She's a lunatic, Allie. She needs me. How do you lock the terror out? Don't make me come get you! When you already invited it in. Look at me! Bridget Fonda. I know you weren't yourself when you did this thing. Jennifer Jason Lee. I know. I was you. Single white female. Living with a roommate can be murder. This movie was a complete waste of time. It was a movie. The only good time I had was making fun of this movie in my head to myself because I didn't want to buzz kill my <laughs> wife. So, what did you think of it, Chris? There, there wasn't a moment in this movie where I was like into it, wanted to know what was going to happen. I did not care. I was uninterested, and I had a tough time focusing on it. Did you like it, Andy? Well, you know, so, I, so my second year of college, I, I transferred colleges, and I had a crazy, crazy roommate. And uh, the roommate was not violent. He didn't threaten me physically. It just more like was highly annoying to the point that I needed to move out on him in the middle of the year. So I <laughs> kind of was drawn to the idea of it. But, yeah, I mean, it was kind of, for lack of a better way to describe it, I think this was targeted towards women. I don't want to say it was yes. Completely girly movie, but that the back the backdrop at the time, I remember that Jennifer Jason Lee was kind of billed as because she's gonna be the next great actress. And I think this was tried uh, one thing that the movie did deliver on is make taking Jennifer J Jason Lee's acting skills and just making her bat stuff crazy, like literally let her go wild. And that's kind of like letting Slash do a guitar solo instead of Guns N' Roses playing together as a song. Like, yeah, he's a great guitarist, but he can't hold the he can't hold the band together just in the solo. Yeah. So yeah. I feel like that, that look, her ability to act was kind of fascinating for me, but the rest of it, yeah, didn't really hold together. Yeah. I thought that at points she did a good job. Like, uh, so after she ended uh, to jump ahead, she killed the dog after the scene where she killed the dog. Like then I, th I thought the movie started to like take the right turn where she was, you know what I mean? Yeah, it took too long to get there though. Yeah, I think yeah. that it took me completely out of the movie. The first act was literally an hour and fifteen minutes. Yeah. Well, uh, uh, yeah, this was what two hours? It was a, it was an hour and like fifty, 50 minutes. minutes. Yeah, which was and, twenty minutes too long, as we always say. And like I said, that first act was just way too long because the second act was like twenty minutes, and the third act was like like fifty, like not even ten minutes long. Yeah. Um, and the third act was arguably, I guess, for this movie, was the best part of the movie. Um. So, I don't know. All right, so let's hit our topics quickly. Actors and other roles. So, <laughs> so hold on. No, 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 no. I want to do this because I did something. apparently tonight. I wanted to do something <laughs> different because I didn't name anybody. I just named them as people where I know them from. Okay. So, actors and other roles. Needle Nose Ned. Yes, that's what I have. Yep. The dude <laughs> from Wings. <laughs> the girl from Fast Times at Ridgemont High. And the daughter of the woman from the workout tapes. <laughs> That's all I have. But what are their actual names? So who's Needle Nose Ned? You got, hold on. Let me start from the top. Steven right. Poplowski is his name. I, I, I can pull it up on my phone here. Yeah, yeah Needle Nose Ned. I don't know what. I think he's been like a kind of a, a soft villain in other movies, but one you don't really take very seriously. But um, yeah, character actor, actor at best, but Needle Nose Ned throughout his career. That's it. That's all yeah. he'll ever be. So you got Bridget Fonda's Allison Jones. Uh, she was in Doc Hollywood and Lake Placid. Jennifer Jason Lee as Hedra Hetty Carlson. 
uh, or Ellen at one point. Yeah. <laughs> uh, from Backdraft and the Hateful Eight. Uh, Steven Weber as Sam Rawson. Uh, I couldn't find anything worth noteworthy for him. Uh, Wings. Pete, Wings was Wings, a yeah. super popular sitcom back in the late 80s, early 90s, I guess. Uh, Peter, like 93, yeah. Yeah. I was a little young for Wings. Yeah, I was too, <laughs> but, you know, there was minimal TV to watch back then. Uh, Peter Friedman as Graham. Again, not much. And then S- Stephen Tobolowski, like we just said, was uh, Mitchell Meverson. Needle Nose Ned. Needle Nose Ned. Yeah. Okay. And then, so the plot of this movie is that, what's her name? Girl from Fast Times? Sarah oh, Michelle yeah. Geller. <laughs> what? Oh. Anybody who has three names is who this person is to me. Whatever Jason Lee, you mean. There we go. Yeah. White <laughs> so yeah, Jennifer Jason Lee had apparently a twin that died when she was younger and then never recovered from that. Which, by the way, they missed a great piece of writing here. I don't even know if it was a great piece of writing, but a great, it would have been fun to just say that she murdered her sister at yeah. nine years old. I like, thought that, I thought that's where it was heading. But no, they completely just accident. They could have just left it alone and I would have felt that way. But they had to accident at the end. No. Yeah, yeah. That was annoying. Anyway. And. And then she needs a place to stay, and this other girl's husband, the guy from Wings, is cheating on the daughter from the workout tapes woman. And uh, But again, an unnecessary character. He doesn't need to be there. So, <laughs> all right, so here's my whole thought on this movie succinctly, because I wrote it down because I'm sitting here watching this movie, and I'm like, I don't care about this movie, and I don't care about these people. And then I thought... Well, that's, you know, that's an easy thought. Why don't I care about this movie? Why don't I care about these people? I feel like it lacked substance in the character development because I didn't know any of them before they were in this shitty situations and they were these shitty people. So I didn't have any emotional investment in Hedra because there was no background to the fact that she actually lost the twin and if it was tragic and how it impacted her, there was no character development there. And then Allison seemed like a shitty person. But you don't even know who she is because they don't tell you anything about her except for that her soon-to-be husband's cheating on her. She's That's what I'm saying. Yeah. So her boyfriend's a shitty person. Needle-nosed Ned is a is an attempted rapist. They're all terrible people who don't deserve anything good to happen to them. So why do I care when something bad happens? I was kind of like just, you know, like a fly on the wall. I felt like watching something happen where I wasn't really emotionally invested. So I thought that was a bad job. Agreed. I mean, I think you kind of summed everything up that I have to say. Andy? Well, again, I just, I, I take it as context of the time. So this is, came out maybe a year or so before Melrose Place was the most popular TV show on uh, network TV, full of loathsome characters. Um, so I think it kind of acted, it was part of a trajectory in the early 90s. Like, yeah, shitty people we find intriguing. Let's watch them crap all over each other. But I, I guess that there was probably... It was just a script that was in that it was in the files of whatever, uh, whatever uh, studio had it. And at the time, Jennifer Lee, Jason Lee was going to be the the hot new dramatic actress. You had um, Bridget Fonda coming off of singles as like the, the the you know the the girl next door, the it girl at the time. Let's throw them in a movie together and see them do all this drama, and that's going to be a hit. So I guess it was a hit in the box office to some degree. Doesn't mean it's a great movie. Um, I really feel like it was just nothing more than that. And, you know, kind of if people are going to go see this kind of movie to see a little bit of cat fight or see, you know, two crazy women battle it out, then who cares whether they like the movie or not? That, that was kind of a cynical attitude that I think existed in film in the yeah. 90s before Pulp Fiction and a lot of a good movies changed the pace. Yeah, um, that's just I guess. That's a know? fair point, though. And like having not been an adult in them, <laughs> like I, it, when this movie came out, I was 
seven years old yeah. <laughs> so it's like it's hard to like understand like because i was watching ducktales and I, mean, DuckTales was out <laughs> I, was, I was 20 years old so i can vouch that there were uh just graduated or about to graduate from college and there are definitely people like these people around me that i tried to avoid who wanted the drama they wanted their own this is before reality tv show yeah. shows existed so of course you're gonna have movies like this pre-reality tv yeah so also i pointed out two multiple times that like so in the 90s, you know, no internet in the early 90s, obviously, uh, access to adult material, you know, we'll call it, is limited. So there's a whole lot of TNA available in this movie. And I feel like that was a draw for, you know, a certain demographic, right? Like you didn't really have access to that stuff. Like why not go see a couple famous famous chicks walk around naked? So I don't know. I just feel like the, these movies are kind of... They don't really hold up in this day and age where something like that is you could get it anywhere. You could like you said, with the drama, you could get the real housewives all day long or any reality TV nudity is, you know, plentiful, abundant anywhere you want to find it. So, like, there's no real reason to watch a movie like this. Are you implying that would be the only reason you would watch this movie? Yeah, I mean, like, I actually only enjoyed that aspect of this movie, (laughs) to be quite honest with you, or to make fun of it, so. All right. Anyway, Chris, who directed this? Uh, So this is directed by Barbara Barbara Shorter. Uh, She didn't direct anything I've ever heard of. She had, like, four, five. I guess that's why I left that out. (laughs) She had, like, four or five credits, and none of them, I didn't hear any any of them, so I just left them out. I thought, you know, uh, some aspects of the movie that I did like, it was like some movies are aggressively 90s. Like, I felt like this movie was aggressively 90s from the old computers. She put the ad in the the newspaper. Like, who puts an ad in a newspaper anymore? But I loved, I actually loved seeing where she's got, she's got the dial up going. She's like, and you can do this on the internet? She's like, she's like, yeah, I just have to connect to the phone. And And then you got, she's taking Polaroid pictures, 90s attire. The 90s TV, the VHS, like all of it was just like, oh, that's that's some real nice nostalgia right there. I agree. Uh, the hairdos, the clothing. Yeah. Everything was 90s. What was up? Uh, that I didn't dig that. Whatever that haircut is that she had. I don't know. I don't know what, what do you call that? The Karen now. I don't know what it was back then. <laughs> I don't know. Well, they uh, had the same haircut. So. Yeah, well, they <laughs> they eventually ended up with the same haircut. But uh, what's her name? Fonda. What was? I don't know. It's kind of like Eliza Minnelli sort of thing. But uh, I mean, I can't think of any. There was uh, Josie Bizet played a character named Jane on on Melrose Place, and she was kind of kind of on the more sane side of the the characters who less sadistic and but equally superficial. And I don't know. I guess for a hot minute that was kind of a uh, thing, kind of straight short hair. And I want to say that. Yeah, um, Bridget Fonda had short hair in singles. Maybe it's just her thing, but uh, I don't know. Some some set design or some hair design probably decided it was cute, and you know, it was a thing for a while. Nineteen ninety two, I guess. But also, I feel like I feel like red hair was the thing in the nineties. Like it was like people wanted women with red hair. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm being serious. I'm not making a joke. Like I think that was a thing, wasn't it? I don't know. <laughs> what do I know? You grew up in the nineties. Yeah, well, you know, I still I don't remember. I don't remember what I did yesterday, so I can't <laughs> you know, unless it was uh impactful. I don't really recall. All right. We can move on from the haircut this conversation. I did guess. it what was the name of the what was the name of the group, Andy, you might remember? The woman who the vinyls, the girl who sang When I Think About You, I Touch Myself. Didn't she have red hair? 
Yeah, well, Christy Ann Flit uh, did not have naturally red hair, although, yeah, she dyed it. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm surprised that you would know that band because I think that was kind of like a deep cut college band that, you know, the Australian band that had one hit in the U.S. which sold their whole he album. Only, he only knows it because of Austin Powers. <laughs> no, that, no, that, well, no, but that's not true. I know that song from my youth, but, you know, they did it in Austin Powers. But, yeah, I like I'm, I'm a fan of obscure things. I don't like mainstream anything, which is why I'm not a huge fan of the Marvel movies. So, yeah. Um, but anyway. That's a conversation for another time, I suppose. Uh, I don't really have much to talk about about this movie. I Like I said, I really enjoyed making fun of it to myself. I didn't have anybody there that, that would have enjoyed that with me. And uh, I thought that it was altogether forgettable. So unless anybody has something to add, we well, could just hit our categories. Yeah, let's go straight to the categories. Slide, yeah. What is it? Was it swipe, swipe right? Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the best scene, I guess, when Allie finds out that Sam is dead. Yeah. I guess the intensity of the whole movie ramped up and then, you know, I, I just felt like the movie should have been that at, you know, much earlier. Right. It should have happened a half hour earlier and been a whole lot of chasing scenes, running away scenes or finding things out scenes. Yeah. Andy, did you have a best scene? I don't, I mean, the scenes didn't really, I mean, I felt like it was one continuous sort of build up that didn't really build up. Okay. So when, yeah. when I had a crazy roommate, I got the, the signs from the first couple of days, like, Okay, he's wearing a pair of my socks. That's weird. And then <laughs> my, my clothes are being pulled in my closet laid on my bed as, or on his bed, actually. And then it was just like I'd come back and come back from class like a long day. And there'd be like 12 people watching a movie, smoking cigarettes and drinking beer. And it was just like stuff that was annoying that wasn't like him leaving a bloody knife on my drawer. <laughs> you mean a bloody stiletto like in your bathroom? They could have done a little bit. <laughs> they could have done a little bit better with like job with like drip, 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 slightly crazy, more crazy. Holy crap, did, there wasn't really that much of that. It was more just like this peevish, annoying sort of wannabe hanger on that um, just eventually kind of loses their, loses their shit at the end of the movie. So I don't, I feel like there's, I, I'm, I'm drawn more to kind of the lack of opportunities taken in this movie to demonstrate a crazy roommate, probably because I had one, one that maybe yeah. moved out of my yeah. dorm. So uh, yeah. yeah, I don't feel like there's any best scenes that sort of, you know. I, I 100% agree. Yeah. And like, the, the whole bad roommate thing, Allie was the bad roommate the whole time. She was the one going into her room and, like, touching things and, like, like... Yeah, she did do that in the beginning. <laughs> she, like, I, I, I didn't understand. Like, you're, you're, you're giving off the weird vibes, Allie, not her, until all of a sudden she killed her boyfriend, but... Yeah. Well, that was the best scene, wasn't it? Yeah. Maybe that yes. was. Oh, that was, that was the worst scene. Yeah, that, that was my worst. That's what I was getting at is... I, I just titled it Death by Stiletto. <laughs> well, yeah, it was... Um, I don't know how to quantify how I feel about that scene. I know that I didn't enjoy it. The the forced sex and then like his acting on top of it where like, I don't know, man. I mean, I'm an adult. I have a couple kids. I've had intercourse a time or two in my life. Like it's I've never gyrated like that and made those faces before unless I'm doing it wrong. I don't really know, but yeah, it was you it might have seemed, paying too much attention. seemed unrealistic to me uh, in the moment and really bothersome. But I'm I'm not a fan of sex scenes in movies as a rule, like no, we as, as a that, that, firm this, rule. So. We, we time and time again talk about the, the, the less sex in a movie, the better the yeah, movie will be. Yeah, exactly. I, I didn't mind like the, the solo nudity is OK. Man, woman, obviously I prefer the woman, but you know, like man, woman, whatever, solo nudity, okay. Although I did see dudes nutsack at one point. I didn't appreciate that, but 
you know, my point is that, that that's okay. Like, it's acceptable, I guess. But the sex scenes is like, I don't want any part of it. So well, I, don't, I don't know what that says about me as a person, but. This reminds me of there was, there was one movie that outsleezed this in the 90s, and that was uh, Kevin Bacon's, I think, directorial debut, Wild Things, where, speaking of nudity, it's making me think of, like, Kevin Bacon's directing this film, and he obviously directed the scene where you get to see him full frontal nudity coming out of the shower. <laughs> like, why, dude? You know, um, feel I'm, not, I'm not saying, like, yeah, well, I'd rather see Chick naked because, you know, I want to see, I, I kind of don't want to see it either. But um, yeah, it's it's weird to think that for as kind of as disjointed in this movie is that it's kind of actually been outsleezed a couple times in the '90s. Just just giving you guys some perspective there. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. I well, you know, we've encountered this multiple times before, and we have the same opinion every time. So we're kind of beating a dead horse. My worst scenes, I guess, to bring us back to what's your worst scene? I said the death by stiletto and the whole the whole forced sex scene. I had I had two. So the amount of times that Jennifer Jason Lee put her fingers in her mouth, I just I found I that like that. I found like a weird that's a weird character trait. Like if that's what you actually do in real life, or if that's what this character is doing, either way, I find that odd. And then the end fight scene was just like terribly choreographed, where like it's like kind of like shitty martial arts where I'm waiting for you to throw a punch so I could duck it kind of Wait, choreography. You didn't believe in Bridget, believe Bridget Fonda flying from the rafters upside down and stabbing her in the back. That wasn't believable to you. No. I mean, <laughs> yes, of course that that was realistic, but everything else was no good. No, I mean, all of it was bad. So best role. Best role. Damn. I, I mean, I think just, well, if it worked, it would be Jennifer Jason Lee's role. But um, I mean, I, I think it, Again, she's a decent actor. I think she just kind of it's kind of like putting a good pitcher on a terrible team. Um, See, but you know, so here's the thing: like we we say, best role doesn't necessarily mean best performance, right? We say the best yeah. it could be the best written, and that's my problem. If if I had to pick someone, it would be uh, Jen uh, Jennifer uh, Jason Lee Jennifer Jason Lee because. Like, I think she did have the best acting chops, but I just think that her character was so poorly written and poorly put together that I yeah. don't want to give it to her. I, and, and I just, I don't think I give it to anyone in this movie. All right. Well, I gave it to Sarah Michelle Gellar. <laughs> uh, David Hyde, Hyde Pierce, you mean? Okay. Yeah, yes, exactly. Uh, worst role was the guy from Wings. He had yeah. zero redeeming qualities. But it's not even him. Like, it's just like there, there was no point. Again, I don't like I said him. This before, there was, he didn't need to exist. I don't like his face. I don't like his acting. I don't like the character. I don't like anything about him. Yep. Yeah, he's uh, one of those actors who kind of is uh, the TV or movies. He kind of plays like the semi long haired douchey guy who is just kind yeah. of there. And, uh, you know, like I, I don't know the name, the, the actor's name is a. Uh, there's a guy who plays a bad cop, and then there's the guy who played. Uh, um, I think his name is Zed in Pulp Fiction, the guy with the motorcycle. Uh, Zed. Yeah. Like there's, there's a couple actors. Yeah. All, they all look the same. They all play the douchey kind of long-haired guy, and they're all yeah. little creepy, and they don't have. Other than that, they don't really. So Stephen Weber's kind of one of those character actors. They just be like, okay, be creepy and grow your hair out a couple inches. And then, and then we'll just we'll work in the movie somehow. And I don't, I don't know. Maybe he's got a great agent or something like that. But he, I guess he nails that role. If you want to say like the worst role, he uh, nails it in something. So I, I always, I always wonder if how much. So sometimes it's easy to tell like somebody did a good job at making you hate them on screen. And then sometimes it's like, do I hate this guy because he's a douche or is he doing a good job of being a douche? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Most quotable lines. I only have one and it's 
It's uh, Sarah Jessica Parker after she says, hey, sleepy guy. And she's like, hey, hey, sleepy guy. After she just raped him. He's like in the fetal position in the bed. And she's like, she's like trying to like be nice. It's not funny. It's amazingly funny. It was so out of place. I, I was laughing out loud. All right, anyway. It was uh, so an, you liked it because it was a poorly written line. It was just widely inappropriate. That's yeah. all. All right. Um, quotable line. I I just chose this because I thought okay, this is at least decently written, but not really. Now that I'm looking at it, all right. So Bridget Fonda's character is trying to convince Jennifer Jason Lee's character that she's not like mad at her for killing her boyfriend or whatever, <laughs> and, which is just a weird situation as it is. And she just goes, "I I know you didn't mean it. I know you weren't yourself when you did this." And then she just looks back at her and she's like, "No, I was you." And then <laughs> <laughs> and at first, like I was, I was like, "Oh yeah," because you dressed like her, and everyone thought it was you. And I, now I'm like, "No, nah, that wasn't that great of a line. <laughs> it's, it's not very good at <laughs> no, all." It's not. All right, that's uh, all I got. Would you recommend this movie, Chris? Wait. But, oh, that's right. He already said he doesn't have the lines, right? You don't uh, have a line, Andy. You don't have a quotable line, do you? Sorry. No, I mean the same thing. It's funny you, you keep saying Jennifer Jason Lee with other like triple names like David Hyde Pierce and John Wayne Gacy. I thought it was really good. You're going to go <laughs> next. Um, yeah, she was like a John Wayne Gacy with bad lines. So like, yeah, what you're saying with the the hey sleepy guy or whatever she said, just kind of yeah. like they could they could have done better than that. They could have come up with a really cool line that would have probably sold the movie and made made us remember something thirty years on. But they kind of just threw a, a filler line in there, and I, I, that was the worst. Just incompetent, incompetent writing, right? Yeah. Yeah. All I right. Mean, I would not. I would not recommend this movie. I thought it was a waste of my time, Chris. Yeah, it's not even so bad. It's funny. It's just bad. Yeah, Andy, would you recommend this? No, I wouldn't. Unless you, if unless someone, uh, I was teaching a film studies class on the '90s and bad trends that you know sort of beset the '90s. This would be a great example of. A movie that showcases that but so other in other words no <laughs> okay all right and the top grossing movie of the month coming in at number one unforgiven that's not how you say that unforgiven grossing 101 million dollars hey boss Two more hogs got the fever. Penny, why don't you help the brother out? My guess is you're calling yourself Mr. William Money. You have me confused with someone else, mister. You're the one who killed William Harvey and robbed that train over Missouri. We'll talk inside. You don't look no cold-blooded damn killer. Maybe I ain't. I'm heading up north, gonna kill a couple of no-good cowboys. For what? For cutting up a lady. Cut up her face. Cut her eyes out. Cut her ears off. How about it, Will? Two of them cowboys, isn't there? Better than three of us. Ned Logan. He's my partner. We ain't bad men no more. We're farmers. How long's it been since you fired a gun at the man, Will? Nine, ten years? Eleven. They're paying a thousand dollars to whatever son of a bitch kills the two boys that cut up Delilah. Tell them there ain't no horse gold. Even if there was, oh, they wouldn't want to come looking for it. With any luck, we'll find them by nightfall or in the morning. We can shoot them, head on back with the money. Go, Davy! 
get a shoot? Shoot him down like a mangy scoundrel he is. Are you really gonna kill them cowboys? Well, I guess they had it coming. We all have it coming. I've killed just about everything that walks or crawled at one time or another. And I'm here to kill you. I'll see you in hell. So this was, and Chris, you're going to disagree with me, so I'm prepared for the argument, but this was by far the best movie of the month. Why would I disagree with you? I love this movie. You said this. You So I text you. I said, what would you think? And you said, well, it's not Tombstone. That's all I said was it's not Tombstone. But I meant like I'm really enjoying it, but it's not Tombstone. That's what I meant. Okay. Uh, Andy, I want, before I, because I tend to rant, so uh, I want to get your opinion on this movie. You know, it's uh, a lot of my movie buff and like film school grad friends. I, I live with a guy who is a film school grad for a couple of years, loves this movie. And, and that's kind of commensurate with, with movies that win best picture. I thought to me, it was underwhelming. Like, I, I guess for Westerns, like I really love No Country for Old Men. Like I want it to be a little bit post-apocalyptic. I don't like, I don't really get moved by the stock characters. And, and also I think in Hollywood, I'm sorry, going on a rant here. There are certain no, directors. That, there are certain directors that, no matter what they do, and Clint Eastwood is one of them, and you know, Wes Anderson's another. That everything they put out is brilliant and the best thing ever. And I thought it was fine. I thought it was good, but um, I think because I'm, I'm just sort of distracted by all the hype that I feel like in 1992 there were there were a lot of good movies, but maybe there weren't enough of them to kind of push the society. I don't know. I felt like it's pretty good for for the year, but I still feel like it's a little overrated. And I feel like it was uh, kind of given extra consideration because, you know, Clint Eastwood did a pretty good job directing a pretty good movie. It just doesn't really bowl me over. So I know that's a controversial okay. point, but that's just my take. Can I tell you what I really liked about the movie? Yeah. So I liked that the whole movie is kind of like a – it almost felt like this is why Westerns are are stupid. Like th- this is how real men would act how, – how the real Wild West would have happened. This is – so you got little Bill Daggett like in the jailhouse explaining why, you know, it's the calm man that wins, not the best shot. You have Clint Eastwood riding with the young guy, young guy who thinks like, oh, I'm going to be an outlaw. I killed five men. And you know, he's lying the whole time. And every time he asked them about it, they're just kind of like dismissing it, dismissing it, dismissing it. You go and you have the big scenes where they finally kill these two guys and they're really underwhelming like gunfights, right? Like they were never at a disadvantage. They always had the clear path. And then even after they kill the guy in the outhouse and they're getting chased down and they're having a hundred shots fired at them, everyone's missing because again, it goes back to what little Bill Daggett was saying about, it's not about the good shot. It's about a man who can stay calm and none of them were calm. So it kind of shows you this whole idea that Westerns are kind of stupid in the sense that, you know, you got these big, awesome gunfights that are amazing and everyone's getting shot. Everyone's hitting their targets and, you know, it doesn't work like it that. It doesn't really work like that. Mm-hmm. But then even after all that, and I think that's the point that Eastwood was trying to make in this movie, he said, you know what? I'm going to give you the real Western, though, in that last that last five-minute, 10-minute scene, which was amazing and great, but it was only great to me because they just spent the whole movie telling you that doesn't happen, and then it did. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I thought – I love the slow pace of this movie. Like, I like – I like a movie that challenges you in a different way. Like, I don't want the same thing every time. Like, it's so all right. So, it, I guess it's a, just an easy comparison to make. I don't want the same Marvel movie a thousand times. Like, I just don't want to watch Thor and then The Winter Soldier and then you know, I didn't. I, I don't want to do that. Like, that's 
that's easy, mindless entertainment. I want something that's different that I haven't seen before or a different take on something I have seen before. I'm not saying that this is the most innovative, inventive, and different movie I've ever seen, but it's a slow pace that not a lot of people these days, I feel, would be able to tolerate. Like, nothing really happens. It's a guy in Clint Eastwood who's an old, washed-up bad guy. He's reformed because he met his wife and she changed him. He doesn't want to be, be the guy that he used to be anymore. He doesn't even know who that person is. And goes pick, picks up his friend in Morgan Freeman to come in, come back on for one last thing. I need the money. They're just trying to do it for the money. And they go on this journey where... They're terrible at what they used to be great at, right? They used to be the best bad guys, murderous, killers, never lost a gunfight. And now they're, they get, you know, Clint Eastwood can't ride his horse. He can't, uh, can't shoot a gun. Morgan Freeman can't pull the trigger when it comes time to kill the bad guys. Like, that's great. And then Hackman, you know, in my opinion, steals the show as he normally does when he's on screen being, a, you know, a really great bad guy. Like, but not like a bad guy that right. doesn't have any reason. Like, he's always rational about why he's bad. You know yeah, what I mean? because everything he does has a purpose and a motive, and it's, it's, not, it's not necessarily the wrong idea. It's almost like he has the right idea. He's just carrying it out poorly. I just think that he always has, like, a differing opinion. Like, his, his, his opinion is not, I don't know, socially acceptable, I guess. More or less. But that's kind of what I'm saying, though, isn't it? Is that it's like he has this idea. He knows where they're like, for instance, with the with the two men, they 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 butcher up that girl. And he's saying, like, well, there has to be some sort of justice. But he knows that the justice is I can't look at her as a person because in this world she's property. So I need to treat her as property. So what's the justice for you destroying someone's property? I'll give him your horses. Yeah, I don't know. I'm ranting. Andy, did you have anything you wanted to interject? I think you're, I mean, one thing that does do well that um, I'm thinking about other westerns like Wyatt or you know whether you like um, Costner. <laughs> Kevin uh, hates Costner. Whether you think Costner ruins or <laughs> Kevin Costner can ruin a movie or he can you know make it shine like a star. Um, Wyatt Earp, but also like All Country No Man. They're they're No Country Old Man. They are westerns maybe by design are a little bit slower. They sort of demand a little bit more patience. And also they all have this sort of like it is what it is type of philosophy. Maybe maybe that's, we didn't, we've never lived outside, you, the three of us, have never really lived outside of the civilized times. We don't really know what it's like to really live in like the old West. And I guess that's the point of a lot of these movies. They try to demonstrate a time and a place and a feeling and an existence that's very different. And I think the movie does do a good job with that. Um, it doesn't, I don't, I, you know, for as much as I ran it about sort of the, the hype and that this movie was maybe a little bit overrated, I do feel like it does, uh, does not have characters that sort of over over represent what they're supposed to be in the movie, and it kind of lets you in the same strange way that you hang out with the kids in Days and Confused. You're just kind of hanging out with these these old farts in the old west, huh. kind of a little washed up, um, but still have the same sort of drive and the same ethic that they did when they were really bad men. Yeah, and it, it just you know it rolls. You got to roll with it, and shit rolls downhill sometimes. And I think that that's that's one thing that. Uh, Probably, maybe Clint Eastwood got that from all the Dirty Harry movies and all the old westerns that he did. There's just kind of this stoic character that is ever present in his movies, and I think he made a couple different people, him and Hackman, and even um, uh, Strawberry Alice. You know, it's kind of these people who just accept their role in life and they're sticking to their guns, and we get to kind of see them in this strange playground that's you know the old west. And 
I felt like that aspect of it doesn't make me want to move there and, and be part of that that lifestyle, but it, I got to experience it for you know better part of two hours, and that was pretty cool. Yeah, well, I like it. You know, I don't want to keep repeating myself, but I just felt like you know the pacing slow. There was no real action until the very end of the movie. Right. There weren't any ridiculous. Sh- I can't say. All right, there was one semi ridiculous shootout, but they made it seem reasonable. So, which and, one? At the very end, right? But but that's what I was saying before. Is like I feel like the whole movie. I'm gonna say, repeat myself because I I think I feel like I need to. Was about the idea that the ridiculous shootout didn't happen, no. but then they they gave it to you because they know that you came to see a western, so we're gonna give it to you at the end. Yeah, like I you know to 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 emphasize the point when they go and shoot the first bad guy that they're going to kill the the one cowboy and Clint Eastwood hits him on like the fifth shot or whatever from the rifle and the guy's screaming for water and Eastwood's like. Just give him some water. We're not going to shoot. Like, he's so out of touch with who he used to be that he can't take hearing the guy cry for water. He's like, just give him the water so yeah. he shuts up. So, any, anyway. All right. That's enough of that. All right. The plot of the movie is that um, retired Old West gunslinger William Money, who's played by Clint Eastwood, reluctantly takes on one last job with the help of his old partner, Ned Logan, played by Morgan Freeman. Uh, so, because... Again, Eastwood needs the money to help out his little kids, and he's doing a really poor job of being a, a farmer. farmer. Yeah, <laughs> so they go on this adventure. Uh, the director of this movie was also Clint Eastwood. To touch on uh, Andy's point before, Oscars for Best Picture, Oscar for Best Supporting Actor in Hackman, Best Director in Eastwood, and Best Editing, which I don't, maybe I didn't see what I was supposed to see as far as the editing goes, but I didn't really notice anything that warranted best editing. So anyway, there's that. Yeah. I kind of feel like, you know, to Andy's point of the overrating, like I didn't look, I, I, I you know, I didn't do a good job re- uh, researching this movie. I didn't know that it won all those Oscars, all those Oscars. Mm. And could, because I didn't expect it to have won all those Oscars. You it know? doesn't feel like it would. <laughs> no. Right. And, and that's why I didn't even look it up because I, in my mind, I was like, this didn't win any Oscars. I don't even need to look that up. All right. But also, all right. So let's do this, Andy, this or dances with wolves, which one deserves the Oscar? I, well, dances with wolves, I think. Yeah. I disagree. <laughs> well, Kevin, Kevin Costner didn't ruin it for one. I don't know. I felt like there was a deeper, I like movies that can take a narrative and and you're always you're you're being walked through a story that, um, I, yeah, I, I guess it's the same way that Dance with Wolves didn't really have any action till the end, and also, but I don't know. I, I think I've seen it. I, I I've seen Dance with Wolves more times, and I feel like I'm I keep being drawn back to it. There's something about that movie that's just really well done. Um, again, Unforgiven isn't 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 bad. Isn't uh, I don't know, I just feel like I prefer the latter. So that's just my take. Right. I, I will tell you, Dances with Wolves is a lot nicer to look at. Like this, I that, love the cinematography yeah. in this movie. I'm not saying it's bad. I just but the cinematography Dances is great. But the, the, I mean, you just have better landscapes in Dances with Wolves. Dances with Wolves won because of the cinematography. Kevin Costner is a piece of shit. He's, wor- he's not my favorite. So. <laughs> anyway, all right. I don't know. Um. The, All right, so who is in this movie? You did some of them already. Yeah, there's a, well, there's not really a lot. But I just so, want to point out, you just left out uh, Richard Harris's English Bob. Okay, so Clint Eastwood plays Bill Money. He's more or less the main character. Morgan Friedman is his partner, Ned Logan. Jamie Wolvet is the Schofield kid. He's the kid that gets them to go on this hunt for the guy that cut up 
the they call her a whore in the movie, so that's how we'll reference her. Um, Gene Hackman is little Bill Daggett. He's the sheriff slash uh, antagonist. And that's really it. There's a couple of other people, but nobody really of no or nobody that's really that important. So my favorite part of this movie, I guess I'm just gonna jump to best scene because when Eastwood finds out that uh, Morgan Freeman's dead, so his best friend in this world, he finds out that that uh, Gene Hackman killed him. I know you don't. And he flips the switch, and he's immediately the guy that he said he could never be again. He's immediately a cold-blooded, heartless. Doesn't give a shit. Drinking, drunk, murderous, ravenous animal. He's like they're all afraid of him. And and Hackman is like the baddest of badasses in this movie. As far as like I don't care who you are, I'm the toughest guy in the room, sort of thing. And then as soon as he realizes that you know Eastwood's there and who he is, that he's William Money, he's like kind of like you know he's taking a step back a little bit. And and at that one scene where. Like, there was no action really to speak of in this entire movie that was worthwhile until that last scene when Eastwood was just, uh, he transformed into a different individual. That was the best scene by far. Right, but let's talk about that transformation. How all of a sudden, like, I didn't even notice that he was drinking until I noticed that he was drinking. You know what Hard. I'm saying? Like, he, all of a sudden, I'm like, wait, he's he's just downing that bottle right now. Pounding. Where did that Whiskey. come from? Pounding. <laughs> and, like, it was just such a smooth transition from, uh, I'm still this cool-mannered guy. I'm not going back to, fuck it. Sorry, yeah. I did it. <laughs> <laughs> Andy? Yeah, I think that just that transformation, um, it's almost like a Dr. Uh, a, a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde type moment in that. But it's actually, but it's it's motivated, yeah, by the, the death of his best friend. So I feel like there is, with Westerns, there's always these sort of, whether you agree with what's happening in the movie or not, there's always these moral in, underpinnings for, I mean, eventually, if the movie's done right, that there's more these moral reasons that people do these things. Um, there's a whole, whole bunch of ones that contradict each other in No Country for Old Men. But in this one, I think they made it a little bit more simple in that, yeah, he just kind of snaps and goes after, you know, his perceived rival. Um, after he learns that his, his, his friend is dead. And I think that's compelling and it makes, you know, the old man comes alive and it, it does make it more real. So I, I would have to say that without that, it's a lot less interesting of a, a movie and I probably wouldn't have gone back to watch it again. Yeah, and, and how it was shot too in the end where he looked, you know, he looked more dirty vibrant Harry. and yeah, <laughs> he looked more dirty, Harry. He looked more physically able and capable than he did in the rest of the movie. Like he looked like a tough guy. And then when Hackman's like, uh, he's like, you're William, you're William Money, the, the murderer of women and children. He's like, yes, yes I, I murdered women. I murdered children. I murdered anything that crawled on this on, on God's green earth. Like that whole scene right there. I just, I can't. Anyway, I've done it enough justice. So yeah. that was my best scene. So I kind of picked out another scene as well, just because I feel like that was the obvious scene. Yeah. Right? So I also loved everything in the jailhouse. Like I, I had referenced it before when um, Hackman's telling stories, Hackman's telling stories, Hackman's telling them why all, all that stuff he has written about English, Bob is, is bullshit. Why he, you know, and then he, when he gives, let's no, go ahead. I thought you were shaking your head at me. No, sorry. <laughs> when he gives the, uh, the writer, the gun and says, go ahead, shoot me, do it. And he just knows it's not going to happen. The guy doesn't have it in him. Yeah. Uh, Andy, did you have any other scene that stuck out in your mind? Um, not really. I mean, because at, at the same time, like you said, it was a bit slow pace. And I think that you sort of uh, demand that you wait until things culminate. So, yeah, I mean, not a lot of other scenes 
I mean, there's lots of great landscapes and people on horses and people waving guns, but that that doesn't really measure up. I think um, right. just the, the culmination in the end is where it's at. All right. I honestly, I didn't have a worse scene. Chris, I see that you do. So go ahead. All right. So it's really a throwaway scene. Uh, when Will wakes up from his coma and he has the conversation with the, the girl that got cut up, mm-hmm. like besides the fact that she might be the worst actress I've ever seen. Yeah. Um, it's just it, it, it's their conversation is unimportant and just nonsense and ridiculous. And and she's all offended and, and, and broken hearted that he don't want a freebie from her. And it's just like, I, I don't think that's how that works. I think when you're, I don't know. I think that the whole thing was a testament to Clint Eastwood's a change man. They were just trying to hammer that nail. No, I get it, but they did it the wrong way. I think yeah, they did it enough where he was, you know, in my opinion, it was too much. So I, yeah, there was a bad scene. I, I think so. Andy, did you have a worse scene? No, not really. I mean, uh, not enough to elaborate on. All right, my best role was Hackman because I, I, I'm not a Clint Eastwood fan per se. There are movies that I do like him in, but I'm not like a Dirty Harry, got to watch those, so no. Hackman, I'm, I'm a huge Morgan Freeman fan, but I, I feel like every time Hackman cares about the movie that he's in, he somehow manages, manages to steal the show. Although I do have to say that in The Quick and the Dead, Hackman is the exact same guy. So I know that Quick and the Dead comes in like 95 so maybe Hackman was like, oh, I did this once before, I'll do it again. But this was the first time that I've seen it, and I liked it. So, Yeah, I went with Hackman, too, because like you said, he steals the show. I was with him every step of the way. I loved him in the role. I, 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 I really – my favorite scenes outside of the big end were, were Hackman whenever he was on screen, so – Andy, who was your favorite? Actually, uh, despite my complaining about his um, over, you know, sort of over exhaustion as a director, I thought Clint Eastwood was actually the highlight of this because maybe a little advice. It kind of gave you a glimpse almost 20 years early of kind of the broken old man in Gran Torino that uh, that um, Clint Eastwood played, which I said that he won a bunch of Oscars for that and for the same type of efforts there. So, yeah, just, you know. Kind of the, the the Clint Eastwood that I do like existed in in this movie pretty well, just like in Gran Torino. You know, fast forward twenty years. I did like you know the the, the break away from the you know I'm just the untouchable badass. So my worst role was uh, James Wolvet, who's the Schofield kid. I just thought he was kind of a shit actor, and they could have found somebody to do that role better. I, I didn't think he was that terrible, and I mean, so you're gonna be mad at who I chose as my worst role. I didn't love Morgan Freeman in this movie. Okay, I mean, uh, he wasn't. He just wasn't. He didn't. He didn't do anything for me. Like I, I don't see him as a cowboy. I it didn't. I wasn't. I wasn't sold on him. Yeah, being I, a tough guy. All I don't right. know. Yeah, yeah. He was just kind of Morgan Freeman in a western. He yeah. wasn't. Oh, he wasn't Western Morgan Freeman. Right. So. Uh, Andy, your worst role? Yeah, James Wolvet is the Scoville kid. I thought it was just kind of a bullshit role. Like, you know, we gotta have a a young buck out here shooting and shooting and you know being a yahoo and i just think it was kind of half yeah the rootin tootin yeah that was terrible i agree uh most quotable lines towards the end uh uh clint eastwood the the reporters talking to him about how'd you choose who to shoot first or whatever and he's like i got lucky but i've always been lucky when it comes to killing folks (laughs) but he said it like obviously much better than i just delivered it much more clint eastwoody yes exactly (laughs) yours i said uh So the Schofield kid go, says something to him about, you know, I'm never going to kill a man again. And Clint Eastwood goes, it's a hell of a thing killing a man. You take away all he's got and all he's ever going to have. 
And then the Scorpio kids, well, I guess he had it coming. He's just like, we all had it coming. Yeah, a lot of the the, the, the lines delivered coldly by Eastwood were good. Yeah. Andy, did you have any others that stuck out? Yeah, I think there's one where Hackman says something like, uh, I don't deserve to die like this. And, and uh, um, Clint Eastwood just like, deserves, got nothing to do with it. That was good. Yeah. Yes. Bunch, they, they thought these things through before, like, oh, we got to use that. We got to use this. So I don't know. I just thought that was kind of what the broken old man would say. Deserve's got nothing to do with it. Yeah. It was yep. great. Yep. yep. Yeah. I, I really, yeah. I mean, I don't know if I'm doing it enough justice to be articulate enough to say in different ways, you know, the, the little things like that where, you know, you're getting the different perspective from a Western. You know, he's, he's, it's not, it's not justice for, everybody it's just justice for me you know what i mean like it's not like it's the it's not the right thing to do it's not justice it's revenge yeah there we go okay well well put really yeah all right i would recommend this movie obviously chris i'm gonna watch it again probably this weekend andy yeah i'm not gonna watch this weekend but i definitely if if someone's not seen it especially if i know they like westerns yeah I, i gotta tell them to go see it yeah i was excited chris never seen this one before and i was excited for him to watch it so so yeah, so I it's not until uh ninety four, ninety-three, ninety-four where I really started like actually watching movies. So, so up to this point in the podcast, I, this like most of the movies we're we're talking about I've never seen before. Yeah, I'm I'm five years older than Chris, so <laughs> I was born in eighty, he was born in eighty five, so he doesn't yeah. really start to remember stuff for a couple of years. <laughs> All right, well, I had a great time. Um I really appreciate you coming on, Andy. Yeah, I really, I think you really brought a, a different perspective, like one that I, I can't possibly have, Kevin can't possibly have. So thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, well, the 90s was my playground. And even though I want to talk more about uh, grunge and movies like Friday and Days Confused, I mean, this is a nice exercise to talk about three movies that I don't typically associate with the 90s that are just as probably 90s as anything else you guys can talk about. So thanks again. Anytime you want to come on, just let me know. I really, like Chris said, I enjoyed your new perspective. It made it more fun for me. So thank you. Good deal. All right. Have a good night, Andy. Andy. Take care. All right, Chris, what do we have coming up in September of 1992? The big movie is Last of the Mohicans. Nice. I never seen that, and I purposely didn't watch it because I've been waiting to watch it for this podcast. I've actually seen Last of the Mohicans, but I was definitely young and definitely don't remember it. Okay. Um, We got Sneakers. That's a Robert Redford movie. Who likes Robert Redford? My grandmother. That's who. My father loves Robert Redford. It's accurate. <laughs> All right. And apparently Captain Ron makes the top three. Oh, <laughs> don't we have Mighty Ducks? That's October of 1992. Oh, okay. All right. So three movies I've never seen before. Yeah. I might have seen Sneakers. Don't remember it. Never seen Les and Mohicans. Captain Ron, I've almost certainly seen. And I, I think that it's a complete waste of time. <laughs> okay, then. So look forward to that one. Oh, yeah. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.